Well, I do have a confession uh, to tell you about at the beginning. And uh, I, I've been praying, should I tell you this or not? But I felt like it would be a good way to start a morning. I have an addiction, and it's to Christmas music. I've been listening to Christmas music since the day after Halloween. Has anyone else been doing that? A few of you have? Good. We'll have to start a support group for Christmas music. Yeah. Some of you are like, I don't want to hear Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. How many of you are those people? Okay. How many people don't like Christmas music? Be honest. A few of you. Okay, that's fine. But I'll tell you, there is something about Christmas music. When I turn on the radio and Frank Sinatra singing those Christmas classics, or Pentatonics, or Michael Buble, or Pastor Ryan's favorite Mariah Carey, you know, when, when you're hearing the Christmas classics again for the first time since last year, there's something that comes alive in me. But I'll tell you, my favorite Christmas songs are the carols. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It would be easy to say, of course, they're your favorite. You're, you're a pastor. But I started to like the carols at a young age when I was a kid. And if you know my story, I didn't go uh, to the church growing up. I didn't come to the church until I was 17 years old. But up until then, we would sing these songs. And when I would sing um, Christmas carols, there was something in those songs that were laden with truth laden with hope, laden with something that I knew I was missing even as a kid, but I didn't know what it was. And to come to find out these carols were the truth of Jesus, the truth of what he has done and will do. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to start a message series called Carols where we're going to be looking at carols that we sing and not just understanding what the lyrics of the songs mean, but where they've come from biblically. So then when we sing the songs again, they're going to have new meaning like never before. So here are uh, two of the songs. Pastor Jay is going to be uh, teaching on Away in the Manger. Uh, Pastor Todd will be teaching on The First Noel. And today I get to teach on one of the songs that we've already sung this morning, Joy to the World. Now, I want to go through the lyrics with you again. I am not going to sing it because I want you to stay for the rest of the message. You don't want to hear me sing. Spencer and Alyssa are good at that. But I want to just walk through the lyrics with you, and I'm going to do it slowly. And the reason I want to do that is, one, put it in front of you again, but two, to see the truth that we just so often sing in the car or sing at church, but to stop and recognize what God is and all that he has done through a powerful song like Joy to the World. So let me just read these lyrics to you, and I'm just going to pause after every time that we read the lyrics and let you um, soak them in this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the Lord, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. And then finally, 
He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This song was written by a man named Isaac Watts. It was literally written 300 years ago to the, not to the day, but to the year. So 300 years ago, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 300 years ago, uh, Isaac Watts wrote this, and it's the most popular carol in the 20th century. So someone did a poll and, and, and polled what was the most uh, famous, the best uh, carol out there, and they voted for Joy to the World. But here's the most interesting part that I did not know, maybe you did. Isaac Watts wrote this as a poem. He wrote poetry and wrote this as a poem based on Psalm 98, but it was not written as a Christmas carol. It was turned into a Christmas carol later when someone put words to it and thought, wow, this really sums up the Christmas season and who Jesus is and describes uh, what all that he has done. But it was not written. It was not intended for that. It was just someone's poetry, Isaac Watts's poetry. But it's based off of Psalm 98, and it was specifically verses 4 through 9. And so I want to look at Psalm uh, 98 verses 4 through 9 today. And we're going to go back and forth with that and joy to the world to hear what the Lord wants to show us this morning. So here are these verses. It says, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise. And there we are. Sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and melodious song. With trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony, symphony Excuse me, before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with justice and the nations with fairness. Do you see some overlap with joy to the world in this song? When Isaac Watts was reading Psalm 98, he was moved to write a poem that reflected the heart of this song. And one of my favorite lyrics is the, first, is the, is the fourth verse in Psalm 98, the first one we read. It's shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. See, the psalmist, as he is writing his poetry, we call that Hebrew poetry or psalms, when he's writing out this poem, he's thinking about the Lord and thinking about all that the Lord has done. He's telling people to redirect their gaze from themselves back to the Lord. And when they do that, reflect specifically on all that he has done. That's why he said, when we start to really think about the Lord, all that he has done, we should be shouting to him. We should be breaking out in praise. It should just flow out of us. We should have a song in our hearts that is full of joy. Not happiness, which is circumstantial, but joy. A joy that's not based on circumstances, but based on who God is and all that he has done. My question is, would this verse describe your life? When you're thinking about all God has done, do you just shout your, his praise? Do you just break out in worship and praising God? Does your heart Sing joy on a constant basis, no matter what you're going through. You see, Christmas is supposed to be a time that we do that. 
Christmas is a time for us to slow down and reflect. Reflect on the wonders of Jesus. However, when I look at our Christmas season now, I don't see that kind of reflection and slowing down, do you? It feels like we've turned Christmas into something else. Something that is so busy. Are you all just busy (laughs) during Christmas? And frantic? Consumeristic? Were you like me on Black Friday and Cyber Monday just consumed with looking for deals? When is the last time we just slowed down and we reflected on who Christ is and all that he has done? The problem, though, isn't, it's not just a Christmas thing that our, that our souls are busy, we're consumed We don't stop and reflect anymore. When's the last time outside of church, outside of maybe a quiet time with the Lord, where you just sat still? And as you reflected on Christ, your heart just exploded with praise and wonder and awe of who God is. We need to bring that back into focus this Christmas season. And I want to do that with what the message of Christmas is all about. When Isaac Watts read Psalm 98 and wrote Joy to the World, and somebody read that poem and said, this reminds me of Christmas. We have to turn this into a Christmas song. It's because of the message of what Christmas is all about. You see, Christmas, Christmas is the story. The story of God coming to us and for us. That's why when Isaac Watts writes the lyrics, joy to the world, the Lord is come. It is not in the moment a Christmas message, but it is a Christmas message that the Lord has come to us. The gospel writer John reflected on Jesus coming to us. And here's what he says in verse, uh, John chapter one, verse 14. Here's what he says. The word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I'm not sure where you're at spiritually. I know there are many Christ followers here, but there are some in here that wouldn't call themselves an atheist, but you would probably label yourself as an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who believes in something, a higher power, a God, a force, something out there. And if you are an agnostic, you would probably say and agree with, if there is a force or a God or another being out there, we are to discover who that force is that the force probably isn't going to shout from wherever he is, the heavens or the universe or whatever. We have to do whatever it takes to discover and find the truth of whatever this being is. And every religion and in every ideology and every philosophy you come about when it comes to a godlike figure, that is what they tell you to do. Go and discover what that being is. But do you know what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't say, come up to me, figure me out. 
Live in such a way where hopefully you live in a way when you die, you will meet me. It's the opposite. Christmas is the story of Jesus coming to us. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth. We don't even like to leave our homes to come to church sometimes. It's cozy. It's comfortable. I don't want to get out of my jammies. I just want to be in my comfortable home. How could you ever live a, leave a place like heaven? Could you imagine? Once you and I discovered heaven, we wouldn't be going anywhere. And yet Jesus says, I have to go. I have to go to my people. My people don't have to discover who I am and try to figure me out. I'm going to go to my people. How incredible is that? A God who is willing to leave heaven to come to this earth. I love how the message puts it. It says, Jesus left heaven and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you love that? Jesus came to your block. Jesus came to your door. Jesus did everything to come to you. You know this broken, messed up, suffering-filled world that you and I have to walk in every single day? This drudgery, this darkness, this emptiness, this horrible place that we find ourselves in every single day. That's the place that Jesus came to. He walked in your shoes. He lived the life that you and I live. He came to us. But Jesus wasn't bored. Jesus didn't want to come down to earth and just hang out. He came for a purpose. Because he doesn't just come to us. Jesus comes for us. The gospel writer, when John was talking about uh, the word becoming human and making his home among us, he describes him with these terms. Jesus was full. It was his character of unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus has a kind of love, friends, that's not conditional. You know how you and I, we hold back our love for people? As long as they do what we want, we'll show uh, them love and we'll treat them kindly. But if they don't, you better believe we're not gonna give them that kind of love. Our love is conditional. We are conditional human beings. Jesus doesn't know conditions. His love is not based on what you do or how good you are or how you even love him. His love is unconditional, meaning he just wants to give it to you because that's in his nature. And his love is all pursuing. There are some of you in this room that like to run away from God. I like to run away from God. I don't always draw near to him. There are things that entice me away from God so that he's not the center of my life. This all-loving God is pursuing you. He is after you. He wants all of you, and he is relentless about that kind of love. He's not giving up on you. It's constant. It's all-consuming. When it says that Jesus is faithful, it literally means that when you aren't faithful to him, he is faithful to you. Think about the times in our lives 
where we're just so unfaithful to God. How we think about other people, how we think about God, how we speak about other people, how we treat other people, how we treat the world that he has given to us as his gift. How we don't put him at the center of our lives, how we take God for granted, how we get lazy in our devotional life, whatever it is, how unfaithful we can get with God. And God is saying to us, no matter how unfaithful you are to me, I will always be faithful to you. It's a kind of love that when you blow it with God over and over again, he won't turn his back on you. He is pursuing you. He loves you. It's all-consuming. It's constant. But you know the best part of God's love? Maybe not the best. Top three attributes. He won't force you to love him back. What makes love a beautiful thing is that you have to choose to do it. It's not based on feelings. Our feelings come and go. It's a choice of the will. And when Jesus comes to us and he comes for us, he will not come to you and drag you away and sit you in a corner and say, love me. But Jesus will come to this earth, live a sinless life, take on your sin and your guilt and your shame and your mistakes and your past and your hurts and your habits and death itself, he'll take it upon himself and he will die with it. And then three days later, he will rise victoriously over it, telling us that nothing can keep him in the ground and nothing can keep you in the ground. He will do that. He will go to every single length to love you, but he will not force you to love him. That is why when Isaac Watts writes this poem that we've turned into this song, he says, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. There is a God who has come to you and for you, and he's knocking on the door of your life, but you have to let him in. He doesn't want to just occupy, let him in the house. He wants everything. But you have to let him in. And he so desires for you to let him in. He wants that personal relationship with you for now and for eternity. This Christmas, the greatest thing you can do is not to give more gifts or even receive more gifts. The greatest thing is that you could receive the eternal gift of salvation. That Jesus has done for you what you and I could never do for ourselves. Let him in. Let every heart prepare him room. Let him be the Lord of your life. So what I want to do just for a moment, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you would call yourself an agnostic and you didn't understand the story of Christmas is that Jesus came to you, lived your life, but also came for you to rescue you from that life. I just want to pray. And if that's you, I want you to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life for the first time today. So let's just pray together. This is your first time receiving Jesus. All you need to do is just say this, Jesus, I've lived my whole life 
running away from you. I didn't know that Christmas was all about you coming to me and for me. I opened my heart to you. I want to prepare room for you in my life. I ask you to forgive all of my sins and to be the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest gift that you can receive, it's not a new iPad, though that's nice too. Salvation. Receiving a God who humbled himself and came to you and came for you. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. This is not just a song that we sing or a poem that we read in the Hebrew scripture. It's a song that should be our heartbeat of our lives. But I'll be honest with you, I struggle with it. Let's call out the elephant in the room. It's true, we're supposed to have joy all the time and we're supposed to praise God all the time and the whole earth cries out and we're supposed to cry out. But what's hard is what about all the pain and suffering in the world? What about all the pain and suffering in your life? How are you supposed to have joy all the time? Even though you look back and you see what Jesus has done, he's come to you, he's come for you, but what about the in-between Just this week, I wrote this out. I want you to hear what I've had to go through this week. I've had a friend who had cancer, who has cancer, had a seizure at work. Another friend who lost her sister. Another close friend's brother-in-law was unresponsive and his wife and kids had to revive him. As I was driving by a chapel family in our neighborhood, I saw the ambulance outside. And I'm like, what is going on there? Of course, I told you about all my back issues and the things that I'm dealing with right now. And that was just in the last seven days. And I bet if I asked you, why don't you tell me about your last seven days or even seven hours? There's so much pain, so much suffering, so much hurt, so much brokenness. And the psalmist tells us to have joy all the time, to praise God. We're supposed to have joy to the world when I don't always have joy. Isaac Watts, who wrote this song, he himself was plagued by a physical illness to the point where he couldn't pastor anymore. When he went up to his fiance to propose, she said no. And everybody inside and outside the church was, was saying bad things about him, was criticizing his work. Talk about someone who struggled with joy. The person who wrote it himself. He can relate to us. So how do you have joy? Well, you, you look at Jesus and you take him at his word. You know what I love about Jesus? Some people think following Jesus is easy and think about following Jesus, it's an escape from pain. But if you think that, then you've never heard what Jesus has to say. Jesus doesn't say, I've come to this world, and if you follow me, you're going to live a pain-free life. Jesus says, if you follow me in this world, you will have trouble. Don't you love someone who's just honest, can look you in the eye and say, this is what's going to happen. Whether you like it or not, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a guarantee from God. Thanks God for the encouragement, right? (laughs) But I didn't finish the verse. In this world, 
you will have pain and trouble and hopelessness and frustrations and emptiness and loneliness. And Jesus then looks at us in the eye. He says, but I have overcome the world. See, Christmas is not the story of just Jesus coming to us and for us. It's a two-parter. Christmas is the story of Jesus coming to us and for us again. So when we live between this tension of what has already happened and that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and we look ahead for hope, we can have hope because he's coming for us again. I I love these last two verses in Psalm 98. He's telling about a time when this will happen. All of creation is responding. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with justice and the nations with fairness. At the beginning, he talks about the rivers and the hills. It's symbolism to where the creation will go back to its original state. When we look in scripture and we see Jesus or God in Jesus creating all of the world, we see it perfect. We see everything responding to God in creation as it ought. And yet when the curse came because of sin, even nature itself succumbed to that curse and it doesn't respond the way it ought, but it will. There'll be a time where it will be restored back to its original state. For all of creation will be perfect again. Won't it be nice to live in that state? And then it says, God is going to come and judge. It's true. He's going to come and judge all of the things, all of the bad things that have happened to you because of what other people have done to you. That will be under God's judgment. Praise God for that. We can leave that to him. But... The flip side's true. All the things that you and I have done to other people, all the things we've done to God, God will judge that as well. And he's fair and he's honest. Should that scare you? Yeah, it should. Let's be honest. But, like the, another writer says, all my fears were relieved. Why? Because the cross... When you believe in Jesus, that judgment isn't poured out on you. It's poured out on Jesus. You don't have to worry about that anymore. When he comes back for you someday, he comes back for you and will take you to a place that's only with him because of what Jesus has done for you. Praise God for that. And and then Isaac Watts, he writes about this. And he's thinking about this world that'll be free from pain, free from suffering, free from the curse. A life where, yes, God's judgment is here, but it's absorbed by Christ. He says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And then I love this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You tell me those aren't words of hope. All the pain, all the suffering, the curse, the thorns, the sorrows, all of those things will be gone. God is going to make everything right again. For you who are suffering with pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, even today, as I I can't stand up straight, I'm in so much pain, how can you have joy? 
you can have joy because of what Jesus has done for you. He's come to you and for you, and he will come to you and for you again. And no, it doesn't eliminate my back pain, but do you know what it does? It gives me hope that if God will do those things for me, surely I can trust him in the here and in the now. And instead of focusing on all the wrong things this Christmas, let's turn our attention back to a God who has come to us and for us and will come to us and for us again. That kind of God in the midst of sorrows and joy and frustrations and pain and suffering, I can trust that God even when I don't like it because he's proved himself once and he will prove himself again. Now it's up to us to entrust him with that. So let me leave you with these words of hope found in Revelation chapter 21 of all that God will do. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared. No more sorrows, no more curse, no more pain. I love this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He came to the world and he's come back to the world. And now he will be with us forever. He will live with them and they will be his people. And I love this. God himself will be with him. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more pain or death or sorrow or crying. All these things are gone forever. Joy to the the world. The Lord has come and the Lord will come again. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you that you are not giving up on us. Thank you that you've come to us and for us and then you will come again. You will make everything right on this earth. You will make a new earth and we will be with you. You We will inhabit the world with you. Until then, God, give us the joy that can only come from when we turn our attention from ourselves and our circumstances to you, God. Thank you for coming to us and for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.